Hello, welcome to another episode of the Lucid Health Podcast. My name is Luke Tullock, first one for 2019. And today I'm going to talk about probiotics and what I know about them and the current evidence on probiotics. If you are enjoying the podcast, please give me a rating, subscribe, share, all of that jazz. All right, with that said, let's jump into it. All right, so I think first up, we should just talk about the function and role of the gut microbiome. We have a symbiotic relationship with the organisms in our gut due to a period of co-evolution. So we've spent uh, millions of years evolving alongside these organisms that live within our gut. Some researchers have suggested categorizing the sum of our genetic parts as one genome called the hologenome, and that's how intricately tied we are with these organisms in our gut. So uh, some people sort of consider them part of the larger organism that makes up a human, and other people consider them a little bit separate. But regardless, these organisms as a whole are referred to as the microbiome or microbiota. And we have multiple types of organisms that are encapsulated within this, including things like bacteria, eukaryotes, and archaea, which are the different sort of classes of single-celled organisms that exist um, outside of the multicellular organisms, such as humans and animals. Now, there is a huge number of these within our guts. Uh, It could be more than 100 trillion bacterial cells in the gut alone. Um, And as part of recording at the time of recording i believe there are over a thousand different identified species and probably quite a lot more uh, at this point i wouldn't be surprised if there were 1500 2000 or more any one individual may have around 150 different species within their gut so uh, a massive amount of material in there and one of the cool little facts that often gets thrown around is that within our guts we actually have more cells than in our the rest of our body combined. So pretty interesting stuff. Okay, so there are five major phyla of microbes in the body. And if you don't know what a phylum is, uh, the way it works is we go from life and that is categorized down into the domain, which then goes down into kingdom and then phylum. After phylum, we have class, order, family, genus, and species. So there are five major phyla. So pretty big, uh, broad umbrella of microbes within the body. We have proteobacteria, we have firmicutes, we have bacteriodetes, uh, actinobacteria, and fusobacteria. And I always pronounce that wrong. I think it's bacteroidetes. Uh, I always get the O and the I mixed around. But anyway, the main ones that we generally hear talked about, especially with probiotic um, supplementation, are the firmicutes and the bacteroidetes. So these are mostly found in the large intestine. So the way it works is that after the matter exits your stomach, it goes into the small intestine first. And then after that, we go into the large intestine and then excretion. Um, So most of the microbes are found in the large intestine. We do have small amounts that exist outside of that. So in the mouth, in the small intestine, Um, And there are some disease states where you might get overgrowth in these areas. Uh, However, most of it is located in the large intestine. And the reason why is because there's a favorable pH and variety of nutrients in in that large intestine that favors the survival and the flourishing of those bacteria. So you couldn't really have a large amount of bacteria living in your mouth or 
living in your small intestine because of the uh, unfavorable pH conditions and the type of nutrients that are in there that are unable to really proliferate that type of life. So the complexity and diversity of the bacteria in your gut tends to increase uh, throughout your life. So from uh, when you're an infant and growing into adulthood, you'll tend to find that the complexity and diversity of the gut microbiome will increase. And then as we start aging again, you tend to find that that again starts to decline. So the complexity and diversity of the microbes in your gut tend to reduce as you age again, um, which may be related to various health issues, but we'll get into that. Before we talk about probiotics, I think it's important to talk about the diet and prebiotic material. The difference is that prebiotics are uh, material that we eat in the diet that form part of the food source for the microbes in our gut. So things like fiber and starch in particular will directly affect the microbiome. Um, to give you an example, eating whole grains, whole grains will cause changes in the microbiome that will then also cause a shift in the metabolic byproducts of the microbiome. So the microbiome itself is quite an interesting thing because it produces some uh, metabolic byproducts, just like uh, when we digest our food and we excrete feces, their excretions essentially um, are things like short chain fatty acids. So uh, butyrate is a good example of this. It's quite an important short chain fatty acid that's a main fuel source for the colon cells, the colonocytes. And these uh, require this butyrate as a main fuel source and therefore what we eat uh, even though it may not be directly related to containing any short chain fatty acids can cause a shift in the microbiome uh, and also provide prebiotic material that is then turned into short chain fatty acids that can in turn uh, provide a fuel source for our colonocytes, our colon cells. And at the end of the day, what this actually does in terms of practical implications for our health is that it regulates the expression of the inflammatory pathways, so the pro-inflammatory cytokines uh, through that pathway. So uh, we know that short chain fatty acids can uh, inhibit the propagation of potentially harmful bacteria by controlling intestinal pH levels. We know that high animal protein or high animal fat diets will shift the microbiome populations more towards uh, bacteroidetes and uh, some other types rather than uh, things like the uh, ruminococcae and lactospiricae, which are involved in the degradation of plant fibers. So essentially what happens is our microbiome will evolve and change based on the foods we are eating. And whether this is a good thing or a bad thing is still yet to be determined, but we do know that you can cause shifts in the microbiome within a very short space of time based on what you're eating. So before we even start talking about probiotics and actually providing bacteria to the gut, we should be thinking about what we're eating in terms of their prebiotic content and how that might influence, firstly, you know, what type of bacteria we have and the relative population levels of those different strains in our guts, and then also the type of material that they're going to produce. Uh, you know, are we going to produce more short chain fatty acids, um, things like that. So uh, think about prebiotic and diet material first before we even start talking about probiotics. As a general rule, we see that low carbohydrate diets tend to reduce the numbers of bifidobacteria 
um, which have been associated with some uh, positive health effects. And it seems as well that the bacteroidetes seem to be associated with a high fat, low fiber diet, whereas the firmicutes seem to correlate more with high fiber intakes. So there tends to be this kind of inverse relationship where if you're eating a lot of carbohydrate and very low fat, you may get uh, more fumicides colonizing the gut. And if you eat the opposite, very high fat and low fiber, you may get more bacterioroidetes. Uh, now, sometimes you'll see that there is, uh, you know, supplement companies or various gurus that will push, uh, you know, you need a ratio of fumicides and bacteroidetes to be a certain way. And, you know, that is, there is possibly some merit to that based on the current research, but the, the fact is we don't really know for sure. It's kind of like saying, well, you know, uh, all four-legged creatures are dangerous or friendly. Just because a dog and a cat are friendly doesn't make a tiger and a wolf friendly. Um, so it's very difficult to say, well, this massive group of uh, bacteria is beneficial to health or not beneficial to health because the you know there's far too many different strains that may comprise each of those groups within the gut so just be aware of that that we can make some broad sweeping statements but again there's going to be individual response based on the exact strains that we're not really across yet in terms of the scientific literature so uh, just be aware of that but i would say that generally speaking higher fiber Diets have been shown in a particular study uh, by Foster et al. We saw uh, a larger shift towards microbial diversity in a whole grain group compared to a group that was eating primarily red meat. And so I think having enough uh, carbohydrate and fiber, if you did want to uh, promote microbial diversity, which has been shown to be generally beneficial, then that could be a good thing to consider. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, that is the be-all and end-all. Of course, you may have other reasons for eating a low-carbohydrate or a low-fiber diet. However, that may be one of the main mechanisms why we see some of the benefits of a higher-fiber diet uh, in terms of, you know, amongst other things, maybe controlling things like um, satiety and hunger and those type of things. It may also be a case of altering our microbial diversity and providing some flow-on effects via that that add up. So, for example, we do see with uh, higher fiber intakes, lower risk of, of bowel cancer. Um, and there's an ongoing epidemiological study on diet and bowel cancer called EPIC, E-P-I-C. And it seems that for every 10 grams of daily fiber consumption, we see a decreased risk of bowel cancer. So whether that's one of the mechanisms or not, we're not quite sure yet, but it may be. We have seen association data that was widely reported in the media, mostly incorrectly, that red meat causes cancer. And one of the issues was heterocyclic amines and nitroamines, um, which are examples of known carcinogens that are found in processed red meat. Um, they are found in red meat to some extent, but mostly in processed red meats. Now, the implication for this and fiber intake is that those colon cells I spoke about before, the colonocytes, are exposed to these various compounds when you eat them. And they can, uh, these heterocyclic amines and these nitroamines that are found in processed red meat can uh, have a carcinogenic effect on the colonocytes. Now we spoke a bit about butyrate before. Butyrate is produced as a metabolic byproduct by some of the bacteria in your gut when they eat fiber and starch. And butyrate tends to have an anti-inflammatory effect on those colonocytes. 
So it may be that we can buffer against this potential uh, ingestion of carcinogens in processed and red meat by eating enough fiber alongside it. So this is one of the mechanisms where we can potentially find uh, the right type of fiber intake and the right arrangement of species in the gut can help to protect us against a certain type of cancer. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about individual differences in gut bacteria because the individual composition of gut bacteria can vary a lot, even to the point where you may be able to identify individuals based on what their gut microbiome looks like. It's almost like a unique feature of ours, like a fingerprint. Um, and certainly, if that's not the case, then we can certainly, across cultures or geographical locations, identify certain trends in the gut microbiome. So all across the world, people have different compositions of their gut microbiome and seemingly healthy populations across the world or unhealthy populations across the world all tend to have different compositions of their gut microbiome. So uh, given this, we kind of don't really know exactly what a healthy microbiome should look like or what a standard or an average microbiome should look like. Uh, which makes it very difficult to then recommend individual strains or strategies to alter the microbiome. What we do have are some associations with various disease states and the composition of the gut microbiome. So we know that specific microbes have been identified as being associated with positive outcomes as well as negative outcomes. Generally speaking, the positive health outcomes are associated with things like bifidobacteria, lactobacillus, um, and a few others, but those are the two main ones. And you would recognize those as being quite prominent in most over-the-counter probiotic supplements. Obviously, there are some that have been associated with negative outcomes. Some of the ones that are pretty obvious are things like H. pylori, um, and there are a few others as well, but they tend to have very overt effects. So if you don't know the story of H. pylori, you should look it up, but essentially, it was suspected by a researcher that this caused stomach ulcers. And so he actually drank a test tube of the bacterium and gave himself stomach ulcers to prove to his colleagues that it did actually cause it. So <laughs> that's a pretty um, direct cause. And if we're talking about things like autoimmune diseases or those type of ongoing recruitment type diseases of the immune system, it can be very difficult to identify whether the gut microbiome is actually playing a causative role in that, or if there's simply associations. Uh, again, we don't quite have the granularity yet in our research to know for sure. One thing we do know is that bacterial diversity has been associated with health outcomes. So a lower diversity in the number of species you have is associated with poorer health outcomes, and the opposite is true as well. Um, but there are multiple factors involved. So we need to consider the diversity and species of your microbiome, the distribution, in other words, you know, which um, species are the ratios of all of them, so to speak, um, the metabolic outputs of those species. So, you know, what are they producing? Like those short chain fatty acids are an example of a metabolic output. And you also need to consider interactions with your own environment. So your environmental stimulus and your dietary habits and your general lifestyle. Uh, in some cases, we may find that a particular microbiome could be perfectly healthy given a certain environment, but may not be in another environment. And that's something that we're still pretty far away from identifying. Some of the stuff we have association for at the moment 
uh, things like uh, nutrient production, so short-chain fatty acids and vitamin synthesis uh, in the gut. We know that there are interactions with cancer proliferation, as we spoke about. So that's related to the butyrate production and protection against carcinogens. We also know that there are um, massive oxidative stress or inflammation um, causative factors uh, related to the gut. So uh, foreign bacteria have part of their cell wall um, that is called lipopolysaccharide. If lipopolysaccharide manages to get across the mucosal barrier of the intestines and into the body, it causes a huge oxidative stress and inflammatory response in the body. And so we know that anything related to inflammation or oxidative stress may have something to do with lipopolysaccharide. And uh, if there is an issue with that getting across the, uh, the gut lining, then we've got a, a problem. You know, whether that is very prominent or not is very difficult to say, but we know that that can happen. We know that there are associations in defense against pathogens of various types. So having your gut microbiome there can help mediate intestinal pH. It can help uh, provide competition for energy substrates. So let's say you have a quote unquote bad bacterial strain in your gut, but you have heaps and heaps and heaps of quote unquote good bacteria. Those good bacteria could simply just outcompete um, those bad bacteria and just eat all the food, provide a uh, environment that is not really favorable to that bad bacteria and therefore the bad bacteria never really gets a foothold. So that's another way that having a uh, broad array of different microbes that are more or less healthy or neutral to your health uh, in the gut can actually protect you against outside pathogens. As we discussed as well, uh, as far as things relating to things like irritable bowel disease and cardiovascular outcomes, controlling inflammatory signaling is really important. And so having, uh, again, that, that diversity and the right type of species there is potentially important for ensuring that inflammatory signaling does not go get out of hand that immune function is not compromised, so the immune system is not recruited uh, without needing to be. And we also have some cardiovascular outcomes related to lipid and cholesterol metabolism in the actual intestines. And again, that is just related to the bacteria in your gut that metabolize and then produce a metabolic byproduct that, that we can then absorb and use. So circling back to probiotic use, uh, we can define probiotics as live microorganisms um, that are then administered to a host. We've only really identified a few specific organisms that I mentioned before that may be used successfully as probiotics. So the bifidobacteria and the lactobacillus, uh, and they make up a really small population, a small proportion of the overall population of your gut, but they do seem to be uh, mildly beneficial for your health. So we seem to see more bifidobacteria in higher proportions in infants that don't develop autoimmune or gut diseases. But there are no specific health claims that are actually endorsed by any official body or anything. So we have to be really careful with association data. Um, there is growing research in the area. So a lot more research being done and it is a very exciting time. But at the moment, it's pretty equivocal, meaning there's a lot of data on both sides. There are methodological issues, uh, and it's really difficult to endorse any specific recommendations for an individual to supplement. One of the challenges in drawing conclusions on the efficacy of probiotics is that there is a lack of studies on specific individual species or strains. 
And of course, there are so many to try and study. And when you're trying to introduce it to a microbiome that already has trillions of other organisms, it's very difficult to measure the effects and control the variables. So most meta-analyses that exist at the moment will group probiotics together as a supplement overall, rather than looking at individual species or strains. And so we have this really high heterogeneity in studies and there's potentially an overestimation of effect as a result. So it may be that specific disease states could benefit from probiotics, but not general health, but we just don't really know yet. Another thing that is quite interesting that you may have seen on my Instagram lately is that we've seen often doctors or nutritionists or trainers or whatever are recommending using probiotics after antibiotic use. So the idea being that the antibiotics will kill indiscriminately a lot of the bacteria in your gut, and then you try and repopulate those bacteria uh, or help it along by using probiotics either alongside or afterwards. Now, there has been some data to show that this is a little bit helpful, but recently there's been some studies come out that show that in the first place, some people don't really respond very well to probiotics. They don't actually cause any colonization of the gut, so they're a waste of time taking them. And in people that they do colonize, it may be that it actually takes longer to recover your original state of gut bacteria. So what these researchers did is they took a sample of the gut bacteria of their subjects, they gave them a course of antibiotics, and then one group got a placebo, and another group got probiotic supplement, which was, I think, a generic six-strain supplement, if I remember correctly. And the probiotic group took uh, longer than six months to recover their original uh, profile of their gut microbiome, whereas the people who got the placebo actually recovered fairly quickly. So it may even delay, in some people, a return to their normal gut bacteria. Uh, now again, it could be that it's very beneficial for some people, but not for others, but because everyone is very different and there is such a huge number of these bacteria in your gut, it's very difficult to say what is gonna work well for an individual and whether that will work well for multiple individuals or not. We're just not at the point of being able to individually prescribe that yet. I will also say that if you are taking probiotics, you don't really know exactly what you're getting in the supplement. We don't know how many live bacteria there actually are by the time you've gotten that supplement off the shelf and swallowed the pill. So as a general rule, I don't recommend supplementing with probiotics. Um, now, there's going to be exceptions to that rule where it's very helpful to some people, but and as far as actually determining who it is helpful for and what exact strains they should take and in what numbers, unfortunately, we're just not yet there yet with the science. Now, I have no doubt that we will get there at some point, but we're not quite there yet. What I would recommend is making sure that your prebiotic intake is adequate to support whatever microbes you have in your gut at the moment. So any uh, prebiotic uh, consumption may actually just have a broad benefit to the overall microbe community rather than any specific species, but that's going to be your best bet to increase the diversity and support the bacteria that are currently in your gut. So look to your diet as the main mechanism for altering your gut bacteria. Um, and again, we're not necessarily trying to alter it in a specific way, but just ensuring that there is enough prebiotic material in there, whether you are eating low carb or high carb would probably be the best way to go because we do know that that has 
some sort of measurable effect on outcomes such as colorectal cancer. All right, I'm going to cut it short there. I hope you've gotten something out of this uh, so far. I guess the idea is that there's a lot of really exciting stuff coming out about gut health, but we just don't know enough to prescribe anything individually uh, just yet. But hopefully in the future, we'll have a lot more interesting stuff coming out for you. Okay, uh, my name is Luke Tulloch. You can find me, Luke Lucid Health, on Instagram. You can email me, luke at lucidhealthcoaching.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.